0: church i'll tell you it is good to be in the house of the lord today uh, i know that the lord is here he's already shown up and i believe that uh, the lord is going to continue to be with us through his word if you have your bibles you can open them to uh, 1 corinthians 15 um, i believe that's where i'm going to start out today uh I know that everybody has soup on their mind. Uh, or is that just me? <laughs> uh, I'll confess, I got soup on my mind. And, and uh, before service, I was down there previewing, not, not, not taste testing, just previewing. I was only looking, and um, I, just, I just don't know which one I'm going to get. I might, I might eat 12 bowls of soup before the end of it. I don't know, but it all looks delicious down there. As Jade said, please stay with us. Um, you know the the money we're collecting is just a suggested donation, and so we don't want anyone to um, we don't want anyone to not stay and eat because of a, an issue there. And then all of our money we're giving away, and so we're excited about that. Well, we are in a series entitled "Guardrails," and uh, "Guardrails" is all about putting a barrier in your life that will protect you just by way of recap we looked at last night that guardrails is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas or off-limit areas we understood that guardrails do two things Uh, the very first thing they do is they direct us so they keep us in the lane and they keep us going down the right path and they keep us safe there so they not only direct us but they also protect us and so they keep us from going off the road or going into ditches they direct and they protect and we understood that guard uh the the highway is not the only place where we need guardrails that we need guardrails in our spiritual lives and in our spiritual walks with god we know that if we put guardrails in our spiritual lives and in the way we live our lives and we put those in today they will save us from future regrets and future harm down the road. And so we understood that guardrails are good. They always go in the safety zone. They never, ever once go in the danger zone because if they're in the danger zone, it's too late. That's more like a, a search and rescue <laughs> if, you're, if you're over there. So we always put guardrails in the safety zone, um, in those areas to prevent us from going outside of that. Um, and then lastly the last thing that we really honed in last week on is that you are the one that decides to put guardrails in your life nobody can do it you have to decide to do it and the holy spirit comes alongside of us and and is our aid and helps us determine where we need to put those guardrails and so those are the things we looked at last week, and last week was really an introduction to this series. It was a broad, uh, a broad overview of it. Today we're going to dive in just a little bit deeper, and we're going to focus in and talk about relationship guardrails, relational guardrails. On June sixteenth, 1975, the American band uh, War released a song entitled why can't we be friends and this song was supposed to be a social cry to combat systemic racism as it climbed to number six on the top 100 billboard charts and this song really resonates with all of us because we've all asked ourselves at one point in our lives or another why can't we be friends um, if you haven't ever asked yourself that, you probably sung that lyric, right? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? That's the only part of the whole song I know. So, so, but I know that part, right? I know that part. That was a long time ago. Uh, so so um, you probably asked yourselves this, this, this question in your life at one time or another. If you will, would you just... Um, just in your mind, just remember growing up as a child and you wanting to go over and play at Johnny's house or Susie's house, and you ask your parents, hey, can I go over there and play at Johnny's house? And your parents said no. And you're like, why can't I? Well, we don't know Johnny. We don't know Johnny's parents. We don't know anything about their value system. And so you go out of your way and you introduce your parents to Johnny. They, your parents finally meet Johnny's parents. And now that everyone's acquainted, you say, can I go play at Johnny's house? And they still say no. <laughs> right? Now that we know him, it's worse. Right? And you grow up and you're like, well, how come I can't? Um, And then you usually accuse your parents of being old-fashioned. You accuse them of being judgmental. You accuse them of being paranoid. And then you say something like, how come you never let me have any fun? Right? Am I the only one? I think we've all been there. We've all done those things. Now, if if you've lived your life in a little bubble and you've never experienced that, then I want you to think about your kids. Because surely there has somebody... There has been somebody in your kid's life where you have, um, uh, you have not permitted them to be friends with or wish they weren't friends with or tried to steer them. And when they said, um, you know, why can't we be friends? Then you said, hey, no, no, we're, we're drawing a, a, a barrier here, a line there. And kids don't understand it. You thought your parents were paranoid and you grew up paranoider, right? That's just how it works. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to springboard off this verse here in uh, verse 33. We'll get to it in a second. But Paul, in the bulk of that chapter, Paul is talking about... Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he's coming to this conclusion that there's great power in the resurrection of Jesus. And because Jesus rose from the dead, then you and I can also experience resurrection in our lives. You and I can be raised from the dead. I think we're all living proof of that, right? Once we were lost and dead in our sins and transgressions, but God has made us alive. And this is the bulk of that The chapter 15 there in Corinthians, Um, but then he breaks from his methodology and he inserts this verse, and it's very peculiar, it's kind of a practical application of the Spirit's work and the Spirit being raised to life, and he says this in verse 33, he says, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Now, I want you to know that it's important to note here in this verse what Paul is saying. He says, one, do not be misled. Don't be fooled. Don't go astray. Don't um, don't be tricked into thinking that bad uh Because bad company corrupts good character. That's the premise. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, it's important to know what he is not saying. He doesn't say that good character enhances bad company. He doesn't say that good character redeems bad company. He doesn't say that it allows bad company to straighten up. Now, I know there are times when you inject a good kid into a bunch of bad ones that there will be some residual, uh, you know, you will lift people up to a point. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And so today, under this premise, I want to look at three facts that will remind us to watch who we hang with, three facts that will remind us to watch who we hang with, or who our inner circle is, or who our friend list is, or who our peeps are, or however you want to say it, and then we're going to look after that at five areas where you might need guardrails, five warning signs, and so today I want to look at the first fact, I want to look at the fact that some of our biggest regrets in life were triggered by the people around us have you ever met someone in your life that you wish you never met right you don't have to raise your hand you can just wink right have you ever met somebody like that that you wish you'd never met them well of course you have um i'll bet you uh i'll bet you if you're a parent there's probably someone in your kid's life who you wish that they never met Right or in someone that you love, Um, and that's because uh, other people have this way of influencing us. Now I'm going to date myself just a little bit, and I remember as a kid watching. Now it wasn't the first time around; it was reruns. So give me some, give me some slack here. But I remember watching a show called Leave It to Beaver. All right. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I used to watch Leave it to Beaver. Now, if you are Gen X, I am sorry. You're just going to have to catch that on, uh, what is it, on Google or TV Land at CW? I don't even know what it's on. If it's even, is it, I don't know if it's on TV anymore. You're going to have to go old school to find it. But Leave it to Beaver was about uh, the nuclear family. There was the dad, Ward. He was, um, you know, went to work, come home. He was just the... The typical dad there was the mom June um, and then they had two sons uh, the older son was Wally and Wally was a teenager during the show and then the younger preteen was Beaver so Beaver was the younger brother well Wally the older brother the teenage brother had a friend named what was his name do you guys know no one knows am I the only one who watched this? Eddie Haskell you guys don't remember Eddie Haskell? And Eddie Haskell was the politest kid that you would ever know. He said all of the right things. And, and he kissed up, and he was just the perfect kid in front of mom and dad, in front of Ward and June, right? So when he came come over, he would greet them. He would compliment them. The perfect kid. And then soon as they got off, off out of the parent's control or the parent's view, Eddie Haskell was always offering bad advice to steer, usually the Beaver into some path that he didn't want to go down, and that's how that's how relationships work a lot of times. Um, our friends usually get us into trouble. It's not the acquaintances that are casual. It's not the the people that we hang with that that are on the outside, it's those that are close to us. It's our friends that have that influence on us. It's the people that we bond with, the people that we date, the people uh, at work that we hang out with after work. It's those close relationships that have a, a potential for harm in our lives if we're not careful with them. I'd like you to consider a judge in the Old Testament by the name of Samson. Samson is a typical example of this. Because Samson, at a young age, he uh, was committed to God. He had an anointing on his life. He took a Nazarite vow, which consisted of three elements. Um, One, uh, he could not drink anything that was alcoholic. He could not drink wine. Um, Number two, he could not touch anything unclean, um, or, or that would make him unclean so touching dead things was out of the picture and then lastly which was unique to him kind of was that he could not cut his hat cut his hair and his hair was the source of his strength and uh, and those were the three things and then everything was going good for him you know Samson became a champion of Israel Um, at one time he was facing an army of 1,000, one against 1,000. He picked up a donkey's jawbone and he won. He was ye- being used mighty uh, for Israel, and everything was going good until, in our story, he meets a woman by the name of Delilah, right? You guys know the story. And Delilah, according to the 1980s um, prophet Belbiv DeVoe, that girl was poison. <laughs> right she was nothing but bad for him and by the end of our story she seduces him and he keeps slipping down in his morals and in his characters and what god had commissioned him to do by the end of the story he has broken all three of those commitments to god Uh, the philistines subdue him they pluck out his eyes he is forced into manual slave labor turning a millstone and, uh, and I wonder if he's not sitting there in his depravity, in his, in his blindness, in his manual labor, wishing that he had never met that woman, right? I'll bet you he regrets it the rest of his life which was probably short at that point. But nevertheless, our greatest regrets in life are oftentimes attached to other people. Think about some of your greatest regrets in life. The things that you wish that you've done that you wish you didn't. The, the, the times that you went off the path. The times that you found yourself off of a cliff. I'll bet you it was because of the influence of somebody else who was with you during that time. That was steering you that way. And so the truth is, the very first truth is that our relationships have the power to take us off a cliff. And that's because of a second truth, and it teeters on it. There is a mystical influence that other people can have upon us. I don't know how it works, but it just does. Our friendships have a way of influencing us in a way that no other relationships do. I'll tell you, I have a relationship uh, with uh, the people down at the post office, with the people that check me out down at Save-A-Lot. I see them from time to time, and I say, hello, how how are you? We we converse about the weather or what's going on. And those people really have no power in my life. They don't have the power to steer where I'm going or what I'm thinking or my worldview. But yet my friends do. My friends, I let my friends into my life. And because I trust my friends, my guard is lowered just a little bit. And because of that, um, there is a mystical connection that comes that, that enables them to have this influence on me. Now, I don't understand all of it, but I do know this. Uh, neuroscientist at Northwestern University, Morin Cerf, he did research right now that suggests that something mythical happens in your brain to your brain waves when you spend time amongst friends. Something magical happens when you spend together. And he says this he says that your brain waves start to sync up. He said you come into a place, you're on different brain waves and different brain lengths, but the more time you spend with somebody, the more your brain waves start um, being congruent and assimilating together. He said this, and I quote The more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brains with them. Now, just hearing that, uh, some of you just scooted over in your pew just a little bit, <laughs> right? I know that. Um, He goes on to say this, he says, if people want to maximize happiness, that's me, and minimize stress, that's me, is that you guys, you want to maximize happiness and minimize stress in their life, then they should surround themselves with people that embody the traits that they prefer, and then over time, they will naturally pick up those desired attitudes and behaviors. Alright? So this is kind of a a neat idea, because there's no work needed, no effort needed. If you want to be a certain way, just start hanging out with people that are that way. And then gradually, through some mystical osmosis, you will start inhabiting some of those traits. So this works out sometimes to our benefit. If you want to be a good worshiper, then start hanging out with people who worship the Lord. And then just naturally, you will gravitate towards that way. If you want to be um, more friendly and around outgoing and more outgoing, hang around those types of people. And then you will naturally become more friendly and more outgoing. If you want to be good with money, then hang out with people that are good with money. Um, This makes perfectly good sense. And uh, he, uh, Moran Surf there, is not telling us anything we don't know. Because thousands of years before this ever happened, King Solomon understood it. He said it in a different way in Proverbs thirteen twenty. He says this. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. It rubs off. If you're walking with the wise, you will become wise. Because you will gravitate that way. There's a mystical pull. And then Solomon goes also on to say, he says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. All right? Now, this is very peculiar to me. Because this is not what I expected Solomon to say. I expect him to say, walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the fool and become foolish. That's kind of the reciprocal. But, but Solomon doesn't say that. No, he says something that is even more telling. He says that if you and I hang out with foolish people, if we're companions with fools, we won't become foolish. We will suffer harm. That's indicative of that, uh, of that relationship. Now, in those days, a foolish person was not somebody who was stupid. That is not what the fool was. The fool was a person who did not live their life wisely. Um, they didn't, uh, they procrastinated in life. They didn't save for the winter wintertime. Um, they didn't plan for the future. They were not careful with their money and they ended up Broke, or they overindulged and ended up uh, a drunkard. It was those types of foolish behaviors that was labeled as a foolish person. A foolish person can also be considered someone who does not have a healthy respect and relationship with God. Psalms 111 verse 10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom you guys have heard this before the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and so we believe that this statement is true how many believe this is true i believe it's true right so that when we have a respect a healthy respect an admiration and understanding of the lord that it is the beginning of wisdom in our lives. Now, if you believe that is true, you have to also believe that the antithesis of that is also true, that the opposite is also true, that if you do not fear the Lord, you do not have a healthy respect for the Lord, you do not have a relationship with him, then that is the beginning of foolishness. You have to believe that. And Paul, I'm sorry, Solomon says if you hang out with foolish people, if you hang out with the world, then you will not become that way. You will suffer harm. You will just be collateral damage. Some of you have experienced this. How many of you have got sucked into something, not because of what you've done, but because of what somebody else has done? right and the, you now feel sucked into a whirlwind of problems because of somebody else's bad decisions in life this is how it, this is how it works the third uh, truth that I want to talk about today there is a difference between being judgmental and exercising good judgment and this is super important folks because, because uh, if the Bible's telling us okay don't hang out with foolish people or you're going to suffer harm and we should walk with the wise. Well, obviously, there's some decisions that we got to make and that comes in our relationships. But you and I know that the second you and I make those decisions, we get labeled as being judgmental. Right? This is how it works, folks. Um, You're at work and your co-workers say, hey, why don't you come down to the bar with us after work and hang out? And you say, Hard pass, right? I learned that this Wednesday night. Hard pass, right? We're gonna walk away from that. No, I'm not gonna come. And then they say, Why? Are you too good for us? Right? Now, this is logical. These are things that how people think are you too good for us? And it's because you're unwilling to spend time with them that they feel a condemnation where you are exercising judgment. And this is what the world just has an issue with. They can't understand why Christians are so judgmental. Well, I believe the truth is, is that they misunderstand the difference between being judgmental and exercising good judgment. See, if I were to say, no, I'm not going to do that, That is not judgmental. That is not me judging you. That is me making a good decision for my life. And that is the difference. So so if you were to say being judgmental is all about somebody else. It's about you determining what is best for their life. Being judgmental says, I've evaluated your life decisions, and you need to do this, and because you're not doing this, I'm condemning you. It's it's all about them. Judgmental is all about them. But good judgment has nothing to do with other people, and it has more to do with yourself. It's more internally based. Good judgment is concerned about where you are going and the decisions that you are making And so uh, you could always use the old line, it's not you, it's me. Right? That's what it's about. Good judgment. So if you understand life's greatest regrets and our biggest ditches in life are oftentimes because we've been influenced by other people. And that's because our friends and those close to us have a mystical bond that weighs on us and pulls us and affects us, and we learn that that we must exercise good judgment, not being judgmental, but exercise good judgment, then it leads us to a place where you and I have to make some decisions about our friendship circles. We have to dive in and look at where we um, where we draw lines. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying, Pastor, there are just some situations that I cannot get out of. Maybe you're in school, you're around classmates, and you sit beside them in assigned seats, and you can't do nothing about it, right? And and just because you're around each other a lot, there's a natural relationship that happens. Maybe you work on a school project together, um, and because of that, we have to spend times and we have to develop a friendship. Maybe you're at work and you spend lots of time in cubicles with somebody, or you spend lots of time... Um, you know, in, in the factory on the floor together and your jobs overlap and you're constantly working with the same people, developing relationships and you say, well, I can't help but be friends with them because we're spending so much time with them. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just block out every ungodly, unsafe person from my life altogether? Am I supposed to just live in a little nutshell, in a little nucleus? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you need to develop some guardrails. And so, real briefly, I know um, I have about 11 minutes to left before it's soup time. I want to give you five warning signs that you need a guardrail. Five warning signs. Now, this work like um, uh, your little check engine light in your car. You know, it comes on and dings to let you know, hey, not everything's correct and you might want to address this before it turns into something bigger that's what this is five warning signs that you need a guardrail the very first warning sign when you realize your core group is not headed in the direction that you want to go when you realize your friends are not going the same direction that you want to go if you have a goal in your life that you want to be closer to God but your friends are constantly pulling you away from God, you might need to set up a guardrail. That is a warning sign to you. You might want to think about that. All relationships are uh, uh, either grow or decline. They're, They're never static. They're always moving. So we have to always be aware of the potential influence of those. The second warning sign, if you catch yourself pretending to be someone you are not. If you catch yourself pretending to be someone you're not, you might need a guardrail. You know when you go out with friends or you're hanging with friends and you find yourself on the outside saying or doing something that does not align with your internal core values or how you think or your Christian worldview, you might want to set up a guardrail. That's a warning sign that you are pretending to be something that you are not. You are dangerously heading towards a cliff. Because what happens is in those moments, you start lying to yourself. And pretty soon you start tricking yourself into believing that you are something that you are not. This is a desperate area for a guardrail. Number three, when you feel pressure from your peers to compromise you know uh, there are certain temptations that come through our peer relationships if you remove that peer you've never even thought about it at once but this friend has now introduced you to that idea and that idea has now become a realistic option he said I've never thought about doing this I've never thought about going that way this is a warning sign that you might need a guardrail in your relationship those areas where you find yourself entertaining compromise where you never felt that temptation before that is the time you need a guardrail now you do not need a guardrail after you already succumb to that temptation see that's already too late You need one before that. You need one in the safety zone. You need something to prevent you from going off into the ditch. Number four, the fourth warning sign. When you catch yourself thinking, I'll go, but I won't participate. I'll go, but I won't participate. This is a big uh, warning sign because you are now placing yourself in harm's way and what you are depending upon is you are depending upon your willpower to be your strength during this difficult time so what you're doing is you're basically when you agree to go to those places you are stacking the deck against yourself hoping and praying that your willpower holds out does that make sense it does to me it's just a warning sign it's not a good place to be now here's um here is a good uh question to ask yourself um all of our young people teenagers and on down um if you're listening to this on the podcast uh ask yourselves before you go to this place is this a place that i wouldn't mind if my dad accompanied me uh accompanied me with to to it if i brought my dad along that's what i'm trying to say folks Would I want to bring my dad here with me? Would I want to bring my mom here with me? See, that's a good question to ask. If you find yourself at a place where you wouldn't bring your parents, then maybe you need to ask if you should be there. Now, this also works with adults, too. Us on the other side. Am I at a place where I would bring my child to? Would I bring my son into a place like this? Would I bring my daughter into a place like this? If you can't say yes, then maybe that is a place that you don't need to be. Those are questions we can ask ourselves. The fifth warning sign, and this is the last one. When you hope the people that you care about you don't know, where, don't know your whereabouts. When you hope the people you care about don't know your whereabouts. The people that you really value in your life your spouse's your your kids your family units your close friends those that you consider your inner circle if they knew where you were at would they have an issue with it would they have a problem with it not that you've done anything wrong you may have done absolutely nothing wrong you may have not done anything unfaithful you may have walked the straight and narrow but just the just the fact that you're trying to hide something is a warning sign that you probably shouldn't be there. Those are warning signs when it comes to relationships. I'm going to ask Courtney if you would come to the piano, and I just want to wind this down, uh, church, because I want you to know that who we hang with makes all the difference. Who you choose as your friends makes all the difference in, in your walk with God, in your life. Who you choose to let into your peer group who you call your friends or your best friend, it makes all the difference in the world. It really does. I've been pastoring now for almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. And I honestly believe this. The number one reason why people come in And they experience God in their lives and experience a touch of God in their lives. And they feel the forgiveness of God and they feel redemption and they feel clean before God. And they they start into a relationship with them. The number one reason why people fall away and the number one reason why um, I think that they, they don't continue. The number one reason it doesn't turn them into a lifelong seeker of Christ. It doesn't allow them to become a worshiper It's because they can't let go of the culture that's around them. See, I'm going to be real honest with you, folks. You can't reach out and grab hold of Jesus when you refuse to let go of what's in the world. When you still try to be friends with the world or friends with foolish people, you can't pursue God like he wants you to. It just doesn't work. And I've watched it in the 30 years of my ministry time and time and time again. People refuse to cut those relationships. And you know what? It sucks them down. And they can't break free and they can't shake it. I have a friend, um, and this is just one, one amongst many, but, um, and I'm going to change his name. We'll say his name's Johnny. Is there any Johns in here? Okay, <laughs> all right. Cause I had to change it again, so so let's just say his name's John. But he, John worked John worked in a nightclub, and so he he worked you know every night I don't know from eight at night to three in the morning or whatever it was, you know the party lifestyle that's where he worked and come into church and one way or another and come down to an altar and got saved and tears running down his face and beginning a relationship with God and feeling the forgiveness of God in his life, maybe for the first time. And I got to sit back and see the transformative power of God working on someone's heart. And later, as he was going through discipleship and he was growing in the Lord... There came this point where you probably need to, to quit your job. You probably need to think and look for something else. But he was unwilling. He was unwilling to leave those friendships and those relationships, to unleave the things of this world, and it sucked him back down. Stop coming to church, Stop pursuing God, and he's no better off than he was. Because that's the power that relationships have. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Because I want to bring this full circle here in this moment. It's impossible to reach out for Jesus and hold Jesus in one hand when we're still holding hands with the world. So, what are we to do? Paul says this do not be misled. Don't be misled, church. Don't be tricked. Bad company corrupts good character. It always does. Don't be fooled. So what are we to do in this moment? Paul says this. Come back to your senses. Come back to your senses as you ought And stop sinning come back to your senses and right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed I want you to think about your life and I want you to think about your your core friends and your relationships that you have because maybe right now in this moment the Lord is speaking to you and there is a relationship that that it's too close and they're weighing on you and they're pulling you in the wrong direction Maybe it's a peer group. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's somebody at work. And today you say, I need a barrier. I need to put something in place. I I, I don't want to sever relationships, but I need to put a protective measure to where they are not influencing me. That they're not pulling me off the cliff with them. And if you choose not to, you choose not to pull up a barrier. Solomon says we will suffer harm. We will suffer harm. So if you're here today, I just want to say a a simple prayer for you as the Lord speaks to your hearts. If the Lord has put something in your heart, would you just lift up a hand just so I know who I'm praying for today? Just by way of commitment. You say, there's an area in my life, there's somebody the Lord speaking to me where I need to, I need to put up a barrier. It's gotten too close. Now, Lord, in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, Lord, I thank you for the wisdom that your word contains. Lord, thank you that in this place, Lord, Lord, that we can set good guidelines and good barriers in the relationships that we have. Lord, I pray for wisdom right now because, God, sometimes we need a friend. And because there is something that is on the inside of us that longs to be accepted, it longs to fit in, sometimes we find what we think is a safe place, but it's not. Lord, help us not be tricked and help us not be fooled. Lord, help us to always put barriers that maintain a healthy relationship. God, I pray that in our lives and in our peer groups, in our friendship groups, Lord, that these guardrails would always Direct us and protect us as we strive to be the very best we can in our walk with you. Lord, today we just dedicate our lives to you once more. And I, God, I ask that you would move. Lord, would your spirit continue to work and reveal truth to us. And I pray this in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Now, church, uh, one last thing on this, because maybe you're here today and the Lord spoke to you and you said, okay, I... I feel a need. I maybe I just need to keep this person a little bit more a distance. I need to set up a barrier, and that's all good. Maybe you're here today, and you said, "You know what? That didn't really hit home. I'm already doing a good job, right?" Well, right when we think we're doing a good job, the Lord sent, uh, or the enemy sends us somebody to t- to t- tempt us a little bit. Now we can approach that relationship from a position of advantage now we can see it coming before it it gets to us we see the curve before it hits home plate now when we go out and people are coming into our friendship groups they're coming into ours now we have a heads up and we can say yes i see that coming so this this by way of commitment is something that we can do currently but we can also do down the road too so allow the holy spirit to work in your life, to keep you on the straight and narrow. God bless you guys today.